This is A Disciple's Point of View, One Disciple's Perspective on God's Word. My name is Craig and I'll be your host today as we go through a myriad of topics related to Christianity. Hello and welcome to week seven of the series entitled Tumultuous Times. Last week we talked about the seal judgments in Revelation chapter six and this week we're going to cover the trumpet judgments that is found in chapters eight and nine predominantly of the book of Revelation. And we talked about how last week, how the seal judgments are the wrath of God that is thrown upon the earth. Or you could say a loosening of man's inclinations towards their fellow man and the removal of God's constraints to keep man from killing each other. Whereas the Antichrist was given to the world and they almost see him as their savior. And like in Paul said in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, that while they're saying peace and safety, sudden destruction comes, and then the second seal judgment is opened, whereby men are allowed to slay one another. And the language also suggests that this isn't just rampant murder that happens. This is general world war. Throw together all the world wars and all the other 20th century skirmishes that went on throughout history, and this period of time is by far worse. And then obviously we had rampant death, famine, a whole bunch of Christians were, were killed by the Antichrist and presumably because of people taking their anger out uh, on Christians because of the wrath of God that's falling. And then obviously we had this huge earthquake. And then the seventh seal sets up the seven trumpet judgments. The seventh seal is also opened by Jesus Christ that sets up the seventh seven trumpet judgments so it cannot be said that these are the wrath of man or the wrath of satan this is totally the wrath of god and there is no language that's used to suggest that these are fallen angels or that these are demons this is these are elect holy angels that seven trumpets are given to to proclaim these judgments that are coming and these are interesting too in the fact that the seal judgments was a loosening of, again, mankind's sinful nature upon each other, okay? The trumpet judgments is a different kind of judgment altogether. These are judgments coming in from the outside. So this is God that are throwing these judgments upon the earth, okay? So let's get right into it. The first one is found in Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. And the first trumpet is sounded, hail and fire mixed with blood is thrown upon the earth, whereby a third of all the plant life is burned up, okay? This is pivotal for many reasons. Uh, the mix with blood part, I believe, is likely as a result of the hail and fire being flung upon the earth and the resultant human casualties, and also probably animal casualties, that result from it, okay? Explicitly, this judgment is meant to burn up a third of the plant life, and that is pivotal because obviously plant life is all across the earth and it creates a habitable situation whereby we have a great breathing atmosphere to be able to thrive, live, and flourish upon the earth. And if that is struck, then it's almost like a pronouncement upon the atmosphere itself to create a more hostile, if that's possible, living environment for human beings who have totally spurned and rejected Jesus Christ. The seal judgments were a loosening of God's constraints of humanity's sinful behavior. We've already kind of talked about that. 
the thing of it is, is this is also plant life is a food source for many animals and obviously also humans. So if God strikes a third of the plant life and it burns up, that's less food for the animals to eat. Likely that may result in some attacks upon human beings. So there's already that tension between animals and humans because they run from us all the time, right? And we are also the reason why this is all happening. If human beings hadn't sinned against God and spurned him for thousands upon thousands of years, the book of Revelation would likely not be necessary. But anyway, let's move on to the second trumpet judgment. This is found in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 8. And it says, something like a great mountain mixed with fire is thrown into the ocean. And this is likely some degree of a cosmological event. Okay, This is probably something like an asteroid or comet that actually strikes the earth. The reason why I say predominantly is because there is likely some sort of supernatural constraint still that God is placing on this particular judgment. And the reason why I say that is because we are told that basically any – if something like a great mountain, you could probably figure several miles across. We're told by scientists the world over that that would be an extinction-level event. Okay, that all life on earth would be utterly and totally destroyed. As a matter of fact, if you read through the book of Revelation, it's a seven year period whereby a whole bunch of stuff is happening versus if you watched movies like uh, Armageddon or Greenland, for example, where that was the uh, predominant plot point was an asteroid strike on the earth. Right. Or that they were trying our heroes were trying to prevent or had to live through. We're told that that would totally end life on earth. And that's that. Boom. Done. But with this, a third of the sea becomes blood. A third of the sea creatures are killed, and a third of all ships are destroyed. We also have to think that this strikes at the heart of humanity's food supply and logistics because human beings eat a lot of seafood, right? So if a third of them die, then that's a problem. And if a third of the sea becomes blood, that's probably going to make it hard to traverse the seas. And not only that, a third of all the ships of the world are destroyed. And we also have to consider probably the casualties that do result from that, that probably also resulted from the first trumpet judgment. Although we're not given a specific number of the people that are killed, such as in the seal judgments. And then later in the trumpet judgments, we'll see that there is a specific number of human beings that are killed. This likely does result in some degree of human casualties. Okay. So that probably results also in a third of the sea becoming blood. And it's very possible, too, like I said before, that this is a supernatural constraint that is also put upon this trumpet judgment because of what scientists have always told us. But God only allows a third of things to be destroyed. And we're already kind of seeing a pattern here, right? A third of the plant life, now a third of everything else that I just mentioned. Going onward to the third trumpet judgment, and this is found in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 8, and a star named Wormwood falls upon the earth and strikes the fresh water supply, making them undrinkable. The text actually says bitter, okay? And this is likely not a cosmological event. This is likely a supernatural event. And the reason why I say that is because there is language in Revelation 9, verse 1, where a star falls from heaven to earth and opens a bottomless pit and releases a whole bunch of demons. We'll go over that here in just a few moments. But it uses the same language here. A star that has a name in its wormwood. So this is likely a fallen angel, again, based on that language. And a lot of people may have thought when they heard the second trumpet judgment, it's like, well, okay, we can't drink ocean water anyway because of salinity. 
we still have fresh water, but God strikes a third of that now as well. So we have to consider, too, that human beings can only live three days without water. And God has already struck a third of our fresh water supply. And in this judgment, it says that, quote unquote, many die. There's no specific number given. So already a quarter of the world's population has been killed by these judgments. We probably had uh secondary casualties from the first and second trumpet judgments and now we have an unspecified number but that it's many we don't have a quantifiable amount there given to us in the text but likely again this results in quite a number of secondary casualties because of what happens moving on to the fourth trumpet judgment and this is found in verse 12 of chapter 8 and this is where god strikes a third of all the natural light sources so he strikes a third of the stars, a third of the moon, and a third of the sunlight, okay? This is totally a supernatural event and obviously cosmological as well, but it has a supernatural cause in that God takes that third away. So we also have to consider it's not just light sources that struck. It's also how the earth gets its warmth. It's also how the earth's seasons are regulated. It's also how the the weather cycles are regulated so this has a lot of secondary effects just simply from the factor that we don't have as much light as we did and we'll see later on in the bold judgments that we're going to cover next week that one of them is where the throne of the beast in his kingdom is thrown into darkness and it was a darkness that could be felt because it said they they gnawed and gnashed their teeth because of the darkness so this is something too that probably harkens back to the plague in the book of exodus that whereby moses was trying to free the nation of israel but pharaoh was unwilling to let them go so something really interesting happens then in verse 13 of chapter 8 something like an eagle whether this is a literal eagle where god gives the supernatural ability to actually speak or if this is an angel Regardless of that, this eagle says, woe, woe, woe to those that dwell on the earth at the other blasts, the three angels are about to blow, okay? This has already been pretty bad. With the seal judgments, we had a quarter of the earth's population at least that have died. We've had four trumpet judgments whereby a third of the plant life, a third of the sea life slash shipping has been destroyed a third of the fresh water supply, and then a third of the natural light has been struck and destroyed. But there is an angel basically telling us, woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth. If it wasn't already really bad, it's going to get even worse, okay? The fifth trumpet judgment, or as it's also known as the first woe, is found in chapter 9 verses 1 through 11. So already we have a huge section of text that is just describing this one judgment, okay? In the others we had one or two verses. This is 11 verses and the first verse talks about how a star fallen from heaven to the earth that also has keys to the bottomless pit. And this is likely a fallen angel given similar language that's used in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, whereby Jesus was telling his disciples about how he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. It uses similar language, okay? 
Verse 2 states that when the bottomless pit is open, smoke arises from it like a great furnace. And what natural light remains is darkened because of this. So you can think of this as literally this fallen angel opens up the gates of hell. And what comes forth is something that is incredibly terrifying. It, I'm not just saying that. It is really terrifying. Creatures described as locusts arise from the smoke that had power to be able to harm human beings for five months, but not kill them. Okay. And whenever we see in verses seven through 11, the description of these locusts, quote unquote, is terrifying. And given the factor of where they were released from and the language that's used of them, these are not actual locusts. These are not grasshoppers. Okay. These are demons that are allowed to torture people for five months with physical pain. And the text even goes so far as to say, many will seek death, but not find it. But these demons were not allowed to harm the earth itself. This is really significant. And one thing we have to keep in mind, the reason why I say it is significant is because in Job chapters one and two, there is a scene whereby all the angels are presenting themselves before God himself to do whatever it is that God requires of them. But Satan also appears within that assembly, right? God didn't say, what are you doing here? You're trespassing or whatever else. He just simply went forth and told Satan, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Satan being living up to his title of the devil, which is translated from the original language to mean accuser or slanderer, lives up to his name and says, well, you know what? It's only because you've given, a lot, given him a lot of stuff. And if you take away his stuff, he'll curse you to your face. And so God said, okay, fine. You can strike everything he has, but on the man himself, you must not lay a finger. Guess what? Satan went and did just that, and he did not strike the man himself. The reason why I bring this up now is not so much because of what happened in Job, but the point that Satan could only go so far as which God allowed him to go. Satan could be considered the number two person. It's largely thought, or I, sh I should say entity in the universe, save God himself. But even Satan can't go any further than God allows him to. And God does allow these locusts looking like demons torture people for five months. And yeah, it sounds terrible. It sounds just like, man, God is love. Why would he do that? We also have to consider too that the gospel has gone forth for nearly 2,000 years and people have largely spit in God's face because of it. People have made fun of Christians. People have killed Christians. People have been dismissive of Christians whenever the gospel is being told to them. So whenever you have the creator of the universe that is trying to reach humanity, reach humanity, reach humanity, and he does that, all the things that I just mentioned, what's left is, is justice. God is also a God of righteousness and justice. We have to remember that too. We are not, as human beings, we're not one-dimensional. Me as Craig, I'm not just merely love. I'm also this, I'm also that, I'm also whatever else, right? So if we're not one-dimensional or two-dimensional, right, we can assume that God isn't. We have the image of God within us. So we are the effect, if you want to won't want to really present it that way. We are the effect from the cause itself. How much more than would the cause be multidimensional in his character as well? 
So if you're listening to this and it sounds like God is just cruel and whatnot, you got to keep in mind that within these judgments, God is still sending his gospel out into the world. Revelation chapter 7, 144,000 Jewish evangelists go forward and proclaim the gospel. In the very next verse, after this is all described, it says a multitude that no one could count was standing before the throne of God. So they were very successful in converting a lot of people and likely were the ones that were killed in the fifth uh, seal judgment, right? We also have the two witnesses that are found in Revelation chapter 11, where they're proclaiming the word of God, where they're doing supernatural signs upon the earth, and they become a huge thorn in the side of the Antichrist, or the beast as he's called. They're killed about halfway through the tribulation period, but they're proclaiming the word of God. In Revelation chapter 14, we have an angel that flies through the air and proclaims the gospel to the world, telling people how to be saved. So we have three instances within the book of Revelation whereby God is still putting out his way out. Even though we would go through death, pain, and suffering if you wait until the tribulation period to receive Jesus Christ, you still have that assurance then that you're going to be with God. And therefore, it is not considered wrong. It's not considered cruel. God has gone to the nth degree to try to show mercy to this world. Even withstanding all that, the last 2,000 years, we have to consider too that the book of Revelation was written about 95 AD. Okay? How long has it been since 95 AD? It's been over 1,900 years. The book of Revelation has been around for that entire time, pronouncing impending judgment upon this world. But God has allowed a stay of execution. He has allowed people for nearly 1,900 to 2,000 years to receive the free gift of God that is found in Jesus Christ, eternal life, a gift that you just need to grab hold of by faith. That's it. That is how we're saved. So whenever I'm going through all of this, it is not simply that God is just throwing a temper tantrum and he's being cruel and unusual. He has been just marvelously forbearing upon this world. So reading through all this stuff, even as a Christian, it makes one sit here and want to just really just emphasize to people, if you would receive Jesus Christ now, you are included in what's called the church. The church is from a Greek word called ecclesia, and it means called out ones, okay? That's all the church is, is that these are people that God has called out from the world into the light of his beloved son. And the church will be raptured before this time period that I'm describing, okay? So if you would receive Jesus Christ, you will not experience any of this. And neither will anybody else. Clearly, there's going to be quite a number that do, and that's sad, but we have to consider that they made that choice. Okay, moving on. The sixth trumpet judgment, a.k.a. the second woe, is described in verses 12 through 21 of chapter 8. And these are four angels that are bound at the river Euphrates that were kept there for this specific time period. And... I don't know why they're kept necessarily at the river Euphrates. It could be just a factor of 
they were imprisoned there for an event that took place in that general location is a distinct possibility. I believe these could be the angels that are described in Jude chapter 1 verse 6. These are described as angels who left their proper positions of authority and were kept in great chains and gloomy darkness until the quote-unquote judgment of the great day and even the language in revelation chapter 8 verses 12 through 21 suggests that they were kept there for that particular time for this particular judgment okay this is again where we talk about hard things they kill a third of mankind so already we've had a quarter that have been killed we probably had a lot of secondary casualties from the other trumpet judgments, or I'm sorry, the other judgments that have fallen. Just the great earthquake itself in the sixth seal judgment probably killed quite a number of people that were not necessarily told about. Okay. But if we want to consider that there are probably about 5 billion or so people given a current world's population. That's factoring in the quarter that was killed in the in the seal judgments and an estimation of secondary casualties. If there are a third out of five billion that are killed, that means 1.8 billion are killed. And they likely do this not necessarily just strictly from the four demons. Let's call them what they are. Four fallen angels, four demons. They energize a 200 million man army john was very specific about this because he said i heard their number and that is significant probably because there weren't even 200 million people living on the earth itself at that time so it's almost like john is going hey yeah i know there's i mean that's probably more than are alive right now but i, I heard their number in today's day and age that is not unlikely to consider that that could actually occur. A lot of people have been critical about that because logistically, there is no way that um, you could support a 200 million man army, but they're energized by four demonic entities that were kept for this particular moment and time. So this isn't normal circumstances at all. So a lot of the normal rules that we may think about probably really don't apply at this point. So, all that being said, we come to the seventh trumpet judgment, or the third woe. This is found in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 through 19. And this is more or less that the world has been pro proclaimed to be retaken by God and Jesus Christ. The reason why it's a woe is because it's a judgment upon the world system that has kept itself up against God, okay? We've come up with systems to be able to explain God out of existence, okay? We refuse to worship him. The church, even in the 21st century, is dwindling because of their numbers. People are then given over to that which they've always wanted, and that is life apart from God. So God is giving them exactly what they deserve. The 24 elders who worship God day and night proclaim that people refused to repent because the wrath of god had come okay in verse 18 the 24 elders proclaimed that this was indeed the wrath of god this wasn't again not the wrath of man or satan it was the wrath of god the 24 elders who they were they were seen in revelation chapter 4 verse 4 
And they're largely believed to be symbolic of those saints that were in the Old Testament that look forward to their coming Messiah and thereby God save them retroactively, and also the church and also the tribulation saints. So they fall down and worship because God proclaims that the people who refused to repent, even though the wrath had come, were judged. And that's why it is considered the third woe. And then after this, the seven bold judgments are forthcoming, which we will cover next week. So what's the takeaway from all this? Why are we going through this now, even though the fact that this has not occurred yet? This is for me to implore with you to seriously think about who Jesus is, what he did for you, and what he offers you. He offers you eternal life right now whereby you can escape the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and also 5.9, along with, I believe, Revelation 3.10, talk about how Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come and will keep us from the hour of trial that is about to come upon the entire world. This is not something that is made up. As we talked about in the very first podcast in Tumultuous Times, the nation of Israel is probably the most glaring example of the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And no nation, let alone a group of people, has been preserved throughout history so intact that they could come back to their land, they could have their monetary system restored, their language restored. They've largely kept their religious affiliation, although the nation of Israel at present is largely secular as well, but there is a rich religious life that no other culture and no other nation has been able to keep intact, and they have. We've gone over that. That is probably the best example as to why the Bible is true. And the Bible proclaims, if you will believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, and you proclaim him as Lord, that you will be saved. And I'll go into that in depth a little bit more in the next clip that's forthcoming in a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart. By simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life, and I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. 
and your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.